0: Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Here we are at the Provincetown International Film Festival for the third year in a row. Yay! Wow, that's true. I know, it's really true. But also, what's also true, and I don't know if you know this, O'Toole, but... We have had the best weather all three years. It's 70 degrees. It's beautiful out. And sitting yeah. out in front of town hall waiting in between movies has been a joy. <laughs> and and for all five minutes between exactly. each screening. But, and the, the
1: moon is I know foolish. Really You can hear stirring. the waves lapping on the beach. Nothing could be better. Where and the
0: sand meets the sea meets the screen. And a big shout out to the Sandcastle uh, Resort in thank you, Sandcastle. Provincetown for putting us up and hosting us this week. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And it's beautiful here. There's an amazing beach and there's tennis courts, um, not we that we're playing, the but... We water from our room. Exactly. That's where exactly. we're podcasting
1: from right I now. I know, we
0: are. And before we even get started on that, I do have to announce oh. that Orange is the New Black Season 4, I believe, Wow. just came out. And I haven't had a chance to watch it yet because we've been at the festival, but I'm reading that it's the best season by far, although very, very dark. So I don't know. You probably won't be watching it, but I will be. (laughs) So I do want to, I can't wait to get to that. And hopefully I'll write something up maybe next week. So if you didn't know, it is out there. And then the second thing is Amazon has done something really interesting this week. They put up two pilots and they've asked everybody to go and watch them and vote. Oh. Yes. So, so two different shows, or two, two, different, two different pilots for the no, same show. No, two different pilots oh. for two different shows, and they're going to fund one of them, but not the other. I love that. I, well, I, I don't know if I love it or not. I, I'm not. I'm not sure how I feel about that, because what if they're both really great? And then also you vote at the end of watching the pilot, so what whichever one you see first, you're not weighing it. I'd rather see both of them and then be able to comment. But um, um you can't you have to watch one and vote or not and then watch the other. I one? think I haven't done it yet, and I am gonna do it to to test it out. But at any rate, the pilot season, one is called The Last Tycoon and the other one is called The Interestings. Oh, based a- on the book? Yes. By Meg Woolitzer. Yes. And then The Last Tycoon. And so and The Last Tycoon is from the is about the film business. Mm-hmm. So I just wanna say that if you're an Amazon Prime user, you might want to go over and take a look and vote this week. So both of those are based on books. Yes.
1: The Last Tycoon, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yep. The Interestings, Meg
0: Wolitzer. So now you're dying to go watch, right? I'm intrigued. Okay, well we should, maybe we, you know what, maybe we should do that next week. Maybe it's a lit lovers thing. Maybe what we'll do next week is we will have watched both of them, and we can debate it. And if you guys want to send in your comments to see which ones you like, we can we can do that. I feel like American Idol is taking over <laughs> literature. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Okay, but now we need to move on to to the fabulous Provincetown Film Festival. And we, by the way, are two people who have always loved and enjoyed the Hamptons Film Festival for, mm-hmm. I, well, I've been going for 20 do years. Do you see but, the connection? I think we love movies and the beach. Yeah, I love the town, and I love sitting in front of the town hall and going through all that. It's been just absolutely stunning. This is the 18th annual, and this year they're really marketing
1: themselves as America's oldest art colony. Yeah, People like Eugene O'Neill came out here. I have always loved their animated trailers that they do for the <laughs> last festival. Last year we picked it as
0: the best trailer for loved film festival, it. but I don't know that this year it holds up to last I love year. it. It's
1: the same bird is back, and they're really paying homage to all the artists who lived they and are, worked yep. here Winslow
0: Homer and Jackson Pollock right. I'll put a link up on our website okay. screenthoughts.net it's very very good no question now I was not able I had um, some work I had to do but I was unable you to work get... way too hard Hollister you <laughs> really do I was not able to get here till Friday but O'Toole was here and I just want to ask you about a couple of things like talk to me about Sonic Sea yes um very interesting documentary
1: let me just start with an analogy You know how people say one of the worst sounds they can imagine is fingernails on a chalkboard? Yes. Okay. Imagine if you could not stop that sound. That sound was pumped up really high and you could never turn down the volume. I can't imagine that. Wouldn't you lose your mind? Probably. I had no idea, but apparently this is what we're doing to whales and dolphins. Oh my God. They are literally beaching themselves. They're discovering them in places like Bahamas and all over the world, bleeding from the ears. And I had no idea. Underwater, of course, visibility is very low. You can't really see. But sound can carry so far. A whale can make a sound off the coast of Ireland that you could pick up off the coast of Virginia. But they said with the population, the human population, growing at the pace it's growing every 10 years our shipping traffic doubles. So we've got people transporting goods around the world. We've got cruise lines. We've got navies with their sonar equipment. We've got people looking for offshore oil. And all of that underwater noise is making the wildlife in the ocean just lose their minds.
0: Uh, the I uh, were you uh, you must have been so upset. I'm not sure I it want to was see this movie. A
1: devastating look, and right after I saw it, I was running to the next screening. I stopped to grab an espresso, uh. and the barista, he's making the espresso, and he looks at me and the guy behind me in line, and he says, "You know what? Because I've started having nightmares about the sound of my coffee machine." And the guy behind me said, "I just saw a movie where I'm never going to look at a whale the same way again. We're torturing these creatures in the sea." And I thought it is amazing how stressed out mammals
0: get from noise. Well, you know what's also interesting is that one of the biggest movies out right now is Pixar's Dory. Oh, Finding Dory, yes. it's playing and, at the Wellfleet
1: Drive In. Well,
0: what's interesting about that is they changed the film based on some underwater things that were going on. Um, and I just think it's really funny that. There's this major 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 animated movie out maybe we should do that next week suggesting
1: animated movie you know I am. What I'm in one other fact, did you know whales can live to be hundred and fifty to two hundred years I did old? Not. So they said some of these whales could have been born in eighteen sixteen. Imagine how different the world was oh then, how much quieter. Yeah. But their offspring, they're not learning to communicate because they can't hear each other.
0: Underwater. You have to tell the story. Um, I know, I mean, I know we don't want to spend spend a lot of time here, but you have to tell the story about 9-11.
1: This was so sad. The scientists, and
0: there was one of them
1: there, so Dr. Christopher Clark, who's in the documentary, he's originally from Cape Cod. He's been doing lots of great research at Cornell. He was there to talk about the movie, and he said as scientists you always have to prove to governmental entities, et cetera, a scientific link. And so they said it's not enough to suspect that because the whales are bleeding from the ears that, you know, the terrible noise is the cause. They were trying to find um, metrics to really track it and prove it. And they said that after 9-11, there was this decided drop in the stress hormones, and the whales, ironically, were far less stressed than the humans were after 9-11, And they said, for the week after 9-11, when all the traffic, air traffic, sea traffic, just came to a halt, that was a week where there were not so many ships on the oceans. And that was the week where their stress plummeted because they could hear each other.
0: Okay, you know, do we really have to take over every single inch of this planet for our very own? We're putting the ocean at risk. And if you put the ocean at risk, you're putting all of us at risk. Now, what can be done?
1: You know, the movie does not leave us without hope. First step is awareness. Second step is the engineering of some of these ships. They're not necessarily saying take them away, but the engines can be quieter. Mm -hmm. The Navy can test where there's not breeding grounds.
0: One good thing about ocean noise is that when you stop making noise, it goes away. All right, well, let's move to (laughs) Obit.
1: Oh, another happy, another happy documentary. Hollister, I have to say, I just found this, the whole topic of obit, extremely fascinating. It was about the writing of the obituaries in the New York Times. And um, the editorial pressures they're under, the editorial decisions they have to make, how you sum up someone's life in 800 words. Every day they face... Well, how do you
0: decide whose life gets to even show up there? Which, by the way, and I'm from New York, so... In New York City, the big thing is, do you make the obits of the New York Times or not? You know, you can have a listing that you pay for, but they only write up a certain number of people each day, and it sort of is this big thing of, do you get in or not? And
1: and they said It's in the a film, status.
0: It's definitely a status They must thing.
1: get 10 to 12 calls a day saying, you know, my mother, my father, my brother, my sister was such an avid reader of the New York Times, this would mean everything to them. And, of course, there's limited space. They said, for example, when Brezhnev died... They thought, okay, historically. I didn't even know he's dead. <laughs> All then. They said historically, you know, that was the beginning of the decline of the Soviet Empire. So big when you consider things on a global scale. Around the same time, the inventor of the slinky died, and they said, okay, who gets the bigger obit? Who gets the lead? Um, and they said, when you weigh these two things... Wait, one. Who got, I mean,
0: I know who gets it, but who, who did they well, give it to? Well, they said, hands down, without a doubt, the one was that was read by right. more people.
1: No, was the slinky. Oh, my God. <laughs> Brezhnev probably got the lead, but, you know. Um, the other thing is, they said, now, with the internet, the minute someone dies, news is out there. And if they don't post something quickly, uh-huh. it looks like they're ignoring it. So they read early, relax. huh?
0: They've got 1,700
1: ready to go. you think go.
0: they've got ours done? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but by the way, they didn't talk about... I asked I asked you this last night, but I just want to mention that... I don't know if anybody remembers, but after 9-11, they did the obituaries of the 3,000-plus people who died in the Towers. Mm-hmm. They did them differently. Instead of saying they were born this day, they went to this college, they have this many kids, et cetera, they told one specific story about each individual from the Towers, and they interviewed somebody who was close to them to get that story. And it was done by, I think either four or seven writers. One of them was a friend of mine, N.R. Kleinfeld, Sonny Kleinfeld, who writes for the New York Times, and they won the Pulitzer for doing it that way. Wow. And I remember you made yourself read them every single day. They, I think they did it. It took nine months to do like 10 or 20 a day. I don't remember how many. Um... But each one, you got to really get a glimpse of the individual who passed away rather than just their basic statistics. Mm-hmm. And I thought they were going to continue to do it that way, which was so much richer. Tell me the story of your life. Don't tell me the details of the facts of your life, you mm-hmm. know. And it was an amazing thing, but they didn't mention it in O an obit, and I'm surprised. Shouldn't it have been there? That was yeah. not in the documentary. They covered a, they want a lot of their territory. It.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, but hopefully that will kind of ameliorate this stigma that comes with writing obituaries you know because they said really at a cocktail party when people say what do you do if you say i write obituaries they said
0: people really tend to back up at a party you know well and there's the great all right what movie is that in yes serendipity no serendipity yes but remember we saw
1: still life at the hamptons film festival yes and you loved it and it featured
0: anna from downton abbey yes didn't he write obituaries he did but the obituary moment in film that I remember is in the movie Serendipity. With Kate Beckinsale? Yes, and, um... <laughs> John Cusack. I remember the frozen hot chocolate. Why am I thinking about obituaries? Oh, he wrote obituary. His best friend wrote obituary. He wrote, Uh-oh. remember, and he was saying... Was that we Piven? And the movie starts... No, the movie ends with the obit he wrote for his friend, who's not dead. Jonathan Trager prominent television producer for ESPN, died last night from complications of losing his soulmate and his fiance. He was 35 years old. And there's a very, very funny scene in there when he's saying to the guy who was behind the counter at Bloomingdale's, really funnily played by the guy from, um, Best in show. Eugene Levy, I think, plays the role. Very funny. Actor. Okay. And he says, Well, what do you do? And he says, I write for the New York Times. Really? What do you write? And then his boss calls to say, Why haven't you written the obits for today yet? <laughs> and he sort of put down I me mean, like, That's what I, you know, those are great film moments that are very, very funny. But, um, Anyway, so Obit, and then you saw Sonita, didn't you? But I know that's sort of not your... I
1: did. Um, that was the documentary that won both the Grand Jury Prize and the Audience Award for World Cinema Documentary at Sundance. And it was, done, da- yeah,
0: by the way, and it was put out by our friends at uh, Women in Movies. Movies. Yeah, yeah. so they're... Debbie two... Zimmerman, another
1: film of hers, fabulous. Yes, Sonita and India's Daughter... Their mm-hmm. two most celebrated documentaries this past year. Very interesting story about a girl from Afghanistan who is a refugee in Iran, where at the beginning of the documentary is filmed. Her one desire in life is to be a rapper mm-hmm. and to rap about all these causes so now, close to her. No, somebody
0: heart. in that situation, um, when they do a documentary, isn't she going to get killed if she stays there? Sort the of like. The
1: stakes are so high. You okay. worry for this girl's life the whole documentary. Yeah. Because not only is singing not allowed under the Taliban.
0: Maybe they don't consider rap singing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And the thing she's singing about, she and her teenage friends, they're all being sold into these marriages.
0: Now, there is a video that you sent me. Yes. Uh, Yeah, and we'll put it up on the website. And, And and, yeah, we'll put it up on the website. It's a two minute video, so you can see her rapping, and it's certainly worth taking a look see. And the documentary, it really does bring up some very interesting
1: questions. Of how much the documentarian should interject themselves into the story, if at all.
0: And by the way, rarely do we have this many things to say about this many films Kudos at a festival. To the festival. I know, they right? You've got to stick good, that in here now, a Wide ranging right. selection right. of films. Um, and what about *A Long Way North*? Did you see that one too? I did.
1: I. Love this animated style. I mean your it's animation. the old school. 2D. I'm going to go see Dory, but that's it. The animator who did Long Way North worked on the Oscar nominated Secret of Kells and also the painting. Do you remember we saw that a couple years yes, ago here in Provincetown? Yeah. I loved that animated movie. And so Remy Chaye is back with Long Way North. Hmm. Wonderfully done.
0: Now, is that going to get distribution? Do you know if it got it or not? I don't know if it got it, but I would hope so because. Uh-huh.
1: Very well done. So much work goes into animating a film. It, it blows me away. Every time a character moves, you think, that was a lot of work. Blink their eye, that's a lot of
0: work. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. It is just um, a huge treat uh, to be standing up here to welcome Cynthia Nixon to the Provincetown Ooh! Experience.
1: Okay, so Hollister, one of the highlights of this year's Provincetown International for Film you. Festival. <laughs> and for the festival in general, every year they give awards to filmmakers on the edge. And this year they feted Cynthia Nixon and three-time Oscar winner Ang Lee. Who oh, I loved. His, I loved his Q&A. It was fabulous. Mm-hmm. So Cynthia Nixon, she is one of only 15 performers in the history of performing to win the triple She's won an Emmy for Sex and the City, of course, Miranda Hobbs, a Tony back in 2006, in Rabbit Hole, and she's also won a Grammy.
0: Congratulations to her. What did she, she win the Grammy for Grammy Yeah, she won the
1: Grammy for the Audiobook of an Inconvenient Truth. Oh, right. Al right, right. She's done some great audiobooks. She did part of the Dorothy Parker Collection. Ashet Audio presents Sex and the City. Written by Candace Bushnell
0: and read by Cynthia Nixon. My unsentimental education. Love in Manhattan? I don't think so. What was amazing to me was when I saw the video, I didn't realize the largest of the body of her work, and the one that stood out to me the most, I have to laugh, is Little Darlings <laughs> Tatum oh. O'Neill and Christy McNichol, because yes. I, she played the goody-two-shoes blonde-haired girl what what's amazing is a very lar- much larger body of work than you realize. She has been
1: acting yeah, for almost forty yeah, years. Very, she was the time. maid in Amadeus.
0: Yeah. I don't I have to that. tell you, I don't find her to be a standout actor. I don't. On stage? On in screen? Any, any on place. TV? Yeah. I just I think she's okay, you know, and I think she, you know, gets really good jobs and she's got a, an amazing agent. I just don't find I don't I can't pull out anything I've seen her do. The wowed me. What about Miranda Hobbs
1: on Sex and the City? I, I, she's yeah, the only I, one I, of the three supporting cast members to win the Emmy.
0: You know what? She's a Ford.
1: She's you know, a Ford, not oh. a Jaguar.
0: You know? Do you know what I mean? Oh. She's a Ford. She's a Ford. She's solid. She can be in anything. She can play roles really well. But there's, I, to my mind, when I see her on the on screen, I, and I can't really speak a lot to her plays. I'm not sure what I've seen her in. Even. You never saw Rabbit Hole. I did see it, but I don't remember her being in it. So she won the Tony. Tyne Daly played her
1: mother. Yeah, you know, no. And your guy from Mad Men played her husband. Yeah,
0: I don't, I don't recall her performance as being anything other than fine. You know, when I see her act, I think she does she does a good job. She's a ford. You can count on her. You can count on her to deliver the lines, but she doesn't take me somewhere else.
1: Well, here's Maybe another she can fact. Get those roles, this you know? has got
0: to impress you. Back in the 1980s, yeah.
1: she was starring on Broadway in two shows at once, both of which were directed by Mike Nichols. Hurley Burly and Tom Stoppard's the real thing. So in one play, she was in Act one and Act three, and in between she would run across to another theater and be in, in Act two.
0: She's a Ford. They count on her. That's a, that's a Ford <laughs> I mean, Motor Company thing to do. doing that for
1: hundreds of nights in a row.
0: You know what it is? It's a mass. It's a mass-produced. Type of thing. She's oh. in a lot of stuff. Hollister. Hollister. I'm Hollister. sorry, I just don't see so it. So, are you going to be
1: going to see her new movie when it comes out this fall, playing Emily Dickinson? Yes. And I will and say, Terrence this Davies, might be her a moment quiet to. Quiet passion. This
0: might her, be her moment to woo me because um, there are people who have written that she will be nominated for an Academy Award for her performance here. So maybe, maybe she'll win the quadruple. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe this will be the performance that wows me. But in in the meantime, I I stand by my statement of she's. A good actor, a solid actor. You can count on her. She shows up. She gets the job done. This is the thing that surprised
1: me the most. She had never been to Provincetown before.
0: Uh, Yeah, that was surprising, right? You know, America's old start colony. Yes, um, that was definitely surprising. But so, so while I don't dislike her acting, I just think she's, you know, she's not, you know, she's no Meryl Streep. Now, one bit of trivia
1: that I've always found interesting. When Wendy Wasserstein wrote The Heidi Chronicles, uh-huh. it started off-Broadway. It originated yes. off-Broadway. And Sarah That's... Jessica Parker played three of the small roles in that play. Huh. And those same three roles, when it originated on Broadway, were played by Cynthia Nixon. Oh, I didn't know that. That's years a, that before they yeah. teamed
0: up in Sex and yeah. the City. Exactly, yeah. Yep, they're related through The Heidi Chronicles. The Sex in Sex in the City was an ensemble cast with Jessica as the standout. And but, you know, it was an ensemble cast and for me the reason it even got nominated for those types of awards were the words they were given, not necessarily that their acting was difficult and, you know, it, you know again, I always think actors should be it should be like a diving competition at the Olympics where it should be a degree of difficulty. I don't know that those other roles had a high degree of difficulty. I think it was the chemistry between the four of yeah, them exactly. and the writers yeah. knew that because Excellent point. Yeah. when you
1: look at Candace Bushnell's original book it was little vignettes with Sarah Jessica Parker writing stories mm-hmm. about more peripheral people but as the show went on I think they realized the strength of these four actors right. and they made them the central team. Absolutely. So much sunlight figurative and literal and also You know, I've just come from a month of
0: playing Nancy Reagan. And I've been
1: in 1981 for the last month. And it is nice to wake up from 1981 and see where we all are. It's, it's, it's good to be here.
0: Thank you. Hey, now, the one that really, though, just wowed me was... And wowed Cynthia
1: Nixon as well. I know. She was so happy to be feted the same night as Ang Lee.
0: Yeah, Ang Lee. First of all, he walks on the stage, and he's like a Zen Buddhist, you know, (laughs) man that you just want to put, you know, you want to say namaste to. You know, there's something about him that it just calms the waters, clear thought, Look at where he came from. He came to America not really speaking full English. Not really speaking much English
1: at all, according to him. I
0: didn't realize that Sense and Sensibility, why they picked him. He gave us... The the reason he was chosen for Sense and Sensibility was because the producer saw his movie in China and thought that... Well, it was Crouching Tiger, Hidden yeah. Dragon. No, I, yeah. was it that one? Okay. It had already made that Okay, one. she felt that there was a connection there, so they were willing to take the chance in the fact that his first language was, it wasn't even his second language. Like, he really was not, you know, as he said... He could speak in words but not in sentences
1: Well, it was so that's interesting a big risk to take he said when he came over from Taiwan he wanted to be an actor but he just spoke no English and he mm-hmm. said you can't act in America if you don't speak English but he said that to him actors have always been more impressive than directors mm-hmm. directors are he foiled actors no, he said first are rock stars, rock stars then there are actors, actors and then, then there's directors, directors. Yes. and there might have been some people in between there <laughs> yeah. um, but he said when he did Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon they offered him sense and sensibility and he still didn't speak that much English, but of the directors they were considering, he was the one to recognize the humor, humor in, in Jane, Jane Austen's work. Yeah. And I thought, kudos to
0: him. Yeah. But not only that, to read Jane Austen's work yes. in Chinese, which is such a different cultural background, to understand the humor in Jane Austen, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know shows a sixth sense that's beyond this world you know and some real universal themes oh my gosh
1: it's so funny that you call him a zen buddhist master because he definitely vibes that and here the award they're giving him is called the filmmaker on the edge and he by the way made fun of that part yes. of it a lot he and he I think do- he,
0: you know he was very literal and he couldn't quite understand he said I'm not sure what being on the edge means, but I guess I am because you're giving me, you know. But when you he said, do I look like I'm on the edge to you?
1: And there he is in his navy blue blazer yeah. and jeans and his family was there with him. And James Sheamus, his longtime collaborator yeah. as producer and writer, was also at the festival with his film Indignation. So they were both at the festival in the festival's <laughs> third year, 15 years ago, with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon.
0: Huh. Huh. Uh, imagine the journey. Mm -hmm. you know it's really a journey of centuries you know imagine the journey and uh it was such a pleasure and an honor to get to see that man speak in person and to authentically talk about he really said he just wants to tell the stories that are inside his soul Mm -hmm. and um you know i'll take any story he wants to tell i'm happy to hear it now in brokeback mountain by the way which um the 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 management didn't want Heath Ledger to have that role, mm. and he did. But he told Heath Ledger he wanted him to bulk up and be really strong physically and very very masculine. And Heath Ledger said, "No, I don't see the character that way. I see him as a little softer than that, and I'm not going to do that." And Ang Lee apparently said, "Okay, whatever you want to do. You know, That's I so think he funny. lets." His, his 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 actors find their own sense of the character and lets them give it a try but he did sit down with both of them and want them to bulk up bulk up both he and Jake well he
1: mentioned at the festival that who would have thought a straight man from Taiwan would be making a movie about two american gay cowboys and I'll even add to that, based on the short story by Annie Proulx. Mm-hmm. So a woman wrote the short story. Exactly. Yeah. Universal themes I didn't realize it was a short stories. story. I thought yes. it was a book. Nope, a short story. Uh oh, huh. Okay. Yep. And James Sheamus read it, and Ang Lee read it, and he said it just stuck with him for years and years, even as he was making The Hulk. I'm an enigma, contradicting myself, paradox. In some ways, I am a master of pretending. But on the other hand, only through pretending we can touch the truth. So, I don't know what edge is, I don't know, and I don't want to know, I want to keep the mystery. (laughs) Thank you, it was a great honor.
0: What, What a great opportunity to sit amongst the greats. Okay, thank you so much for having us at the Provincetown Film Festival. It was a pleasure to be there. We hope you'll have us again next year and looking forward to it. Here on the edge of America.